0: Love, talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Network. Opinions expressed in our shows do not necessarily reflect those of the network. Welcome to the Long Came a Writer Show. I'm your host, Linda Kozar, and I am going to be uh, talking to a couple of authors today. Mine are Karen Barnett and Rachel Dodge. Uh, Karen Barnett is going to talk about her Smoky Mountains novel, When Stone Wings Fly, and Rachel will follow that interview, and she's going to share insights and inspiration from her Little Women devotional. Uh, so let's see, before... Before I invite um, Karen to speak, um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her. Uh, Karen Burnett is an author, speaker, and was formerly a park ranger with the National Park Service and a park naturalist. Her other books include The Road to Paradise, Where the Fire Falls, and Out of the Ruins. She's also a hobby photographer and is heavily involved with both Oregon Christian Writers and West Coast Christian Writers. She and her family live in Albany, Oregon. Visit Karen online at KarenBarnettBooks.com dot com, and please visit her on all her social. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Karen.
1: <laughs> oh, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, um, let's get right to this. let's let's talk about your um, your latest uh, novel, When Stones Fly. Well, no, it's When Stone Wings Fly. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> And that that immediately got my attention. What are stone wings? I just have to know.
1: Uh, Well, it has to do with the story. It's kind of something deep within the story. Uh, One thing, if if you've read uh, dual timeline novels in the past, you know that there's often an object that connects the historical timeline to the modern-day storyline. And in this case, it's a little statuette of a bird, a little stone bird.
0: Uh. Kind of like Outlander, you know, for that thing?
1: Uh, well, it's not time travel. It's just uh, like a historical mystery that a modern-day character is trying to solve, and the reader gets to switch back and forth between time periods.
0: Yes. But a lot of characters,
1: they stay in their own. <laughs> they stay where they belong. Yeah. So,
0: That's awesome. Uh, okay, so without giving too much away. We can't give that away. <laughs> um, <laughs> but tell us about... Uh, you're well-known for writing novels around national parks. And I love, I, I need to talk about the artwork on your on your covers um, mm. that uh, they so closely reflect those of uh, the Depression-era uh, artwork you know, that came out of that era. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Right. On the Vintage National Park series, it was put out by Watermark and Multnomah. And when they asked me what I was interested in, I mean, because as authors, we don't necessarily choose our cover art, but we get a little right. bit of, you know, we can suggest things. And I remember talking to them about uh, how much I loved the old WPA artwork that was done in the 1930s yeah. and uh, the way that it represented the parks and just kind of the look of it, I felt, captured the spirit of those books in particular. And so the, the uh, cover designer ran with that, and we didn't use actual WPA art. WPA artwork, but art that's kind of in that same style. And I thought he just did a brilliant job with it.
0: The new book has a slightly
1: different cover, but absolutely is gorgeous in a newer style. So
0: it's very very deco. (laughs) It's very art deco, you know, and sleek. And I just, yeah, I just love that look. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, tell us about, like, like, um, I know that you were a, a park ranger and a naturalist. Tell us about that. I mean, you got started with that first before you ever started to write. So um, tell us how that connect, how that connection was made. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it, it's kind of what I started out with as a career when I first got out of college. I started working summers at, uh, first it was actually a wildlife park called Northwest Trek. And then from there I moved to Mount Rainier National Park and worked there as mm-hmm. a ranger in the summertime which was just you know, the ultimate job, getting to live and work in a national park felt like such a huge honor. And then um, a couple of years later, I married my husband, and he uh, was still finishing at uh, Oregon State University, and so I came to work at uh, Silver Falls State Park in Oregon, which is kind of the crown jewel of the Oregon State Park system. So I kind of I worked what they call city parks. Uh, the first one was a city park, and then a national park, and then state parks kind of you know, done the whole gamut of parks. <laughs> and I, I got into writing uh, later in life. And when I started thinking about, you know, what what do I want to write next? It just, I kept coming back to these memories of working for the National Park Service and how incredible that time was, how beautiful those locations are. And I just couldn't think of any better, more romantic, more adventurous location for a
0: novel. And, and really um, showing the reader what you've seen, I mean, through your eyes and, You know, it's someone who's there all the time because, you know, a visitor goes in and goes out, you know, and they have their own experience. But you see it day to day. I mean, you saw it that way. So you saw it with a different set of eyes. Yeah. Um, Right,
1: right. And even different people, you know, bring their own uh, stories to the park. I mean, bring their own attitudes. So different people within each book will look at the park in different ways.
0: Now, I've hiked... um, on Mount Rainier. <laughs> uh, not very good hiker. <laughs> but I have done it with my family. And, oh, my gosh, it's beautiful. And, you know, national parks are a treasure. They really are a treasure to our country. Um, now, now, this particular book, When Stonewings Flight, is set in the Smoky Mountains, which I've also camped in, and that is gorgeous. So um, did you ever – you never worked there, but I'm sure you visited – or, you know, knew somewhat about right. it. Right,
1: right, right. yeah. No, I visited. Um, I spent uh, a week there uh, just before the world shut down. <laughs> with no. the intention to go back and spend more time there uh, in what yeah. ended up being uh, our lockdown time. So I did a lot of research online as well. But I did. I was on the ground there and got to explore the, the forests and the mountains and, and kind of get a feeling for the spirit of the park. And that's one thing I found. I've written four national parks now. And every national park is so different. They they not just have a different landscape, but they have a different culture and a different spirit about them. And Great Smokies was definitely a different experience for someone from the West to go to uh, the East and, and to experience one of those great parks. It was an eye-opener, and I, it was a fantastic experience. And I ended up having – every time I get into one of these, I think, what did I take on? Because the culture <laughs> of the Appalachian area, you know, it's really – Uh, difficult to come in as an outsider and to uh, explain that and to have characters enmeshed, sorry, I'm saying that word right, but living within (laughs) that culture and make sure you get that right. That that is such a responsibility. So I was glad to have uh, quite a few people come alongside me and help me with that. So I wanted to honor that culture and not, you know, give my own spin on it, but to to make sure that that the people were represented as they should be.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is a whole different culture there with the accents and, mm-hmm. you know, um, the foods, like I never heard of, my husband went to the university of Tennessee, so he told me about vinegar pie. <laughs> I yes. was like, Oh, yes. That's I so remember reading about that. <laughs> yeah. But it's good. <laughs> yeah. They, yeah. They should really call it something else. But, um, but yeah, yeah. the culture <laughs> is, <laughs> is different. And then it, it does rain a lot. If you're camping there, which we did, um, there's a lot of rain. <laughs> yeah, of... I
1: experienced that, too. I was there in late September, uh, just before the, the leaf rush, when everyone goes to, to look at all the fall leaves. Um, yeah. And it rained on me as well. <laughs> but it was lovely sometimes, too. So it just went back and forth.
0: Well, let's um, let's talk about um, – I've seen documentaries on this about um, this, the Great Smokies Park Commission and um, the disputes about the land – you know, that were um, taken, basically, for the park. Can you tell us a little bit about that that tension in the 1930s related to that?
1: Yeah, that's what really drew me to the Great Smoky Mountains, uh, to writing a story about it, because there is so much, I mean, every story needs conflict, and that park really is just built on conflict. It uh, was the first of our national parks to be established from completely private land, uh, in the West, you know it could take the stroke of a pen to make a national park because you were just transferring it from one federal agency to another. but uh, with the Great Smoky Mountains, they had to actually purchase uh, or take in some cases this land from private landowners and to create the national park. so I was amazed when I would be walking down the trail and you're in what feels like a very pristine forest area, and I mean, you just you know, take a little side trail, and I, I ended up in a pioneer cemetery that was unmarked and, uh, you know, probably somewhat maintained, but not, you know, not a tourist met area, but it was just a, a cemetery that had been left from the time of the, the original wow. settlers. So, the, the history just oozes from the start. It feels like the trees yeah. are whispering secrets as you walk through there, because you like can tell that them. people had lived here. Yeah. And battles and then, were and fought And the turmoil there. of... Lo- Right, and and just mm-hmm. losing your land or, or selling your land for rock bottom prices to the government was not something mm-hmm. that most of those people had uh, wanted to do. So it was a lot of um, a lot of turmoil. And still, when you visit today, you can talk to people that whose families uh, had land that became part of the national park, and there's still some hurt feelings there.
0: Oh yeah, there's still a lot of resentment about that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I mean, it went back for generations, you know, that people own that land. Yeah. Um, so this this really struck me. Your your character, um, Kieran Lucas, grandmother has dementia, and of course, my mom has dementia. And, you know, we've taken care of her, my brother and sister and I, for eleven years. Um, do you do you have someone in your family? I mean, that you kind of drew from, or did you have to do a lot of research about? What that character uh, would experience. It, it
1: was a combination of the two. Um, my grandmother suffered from dementia in her final years, and so I have some I have memory of that. Um, but you know, I think my mother kind of sheltered me from some of the worst of it. So a lot of it came from research yeah. as well. And now, now unfortunately, my mom is kind of in the same boat. Uh, we just moved her to a memory care facility just recently. That was after I had finished writing the book. So it's it's a strange repeating of history for me that, that my grandmother went through this and then I wrote this book and now my mother is going through it. So it's all very real to me.
0: That's uh, That's got to be, that had to be difficult, you know, to write about very that you're living through it too. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, you know, have real I'm sorry I keep beeping, I can't shut it off. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just accent everything you say. <laughs> um <laughs> So, um, so we're dealing with you know two time periods here. So, 85 years later, um, this uh, well, her grandmother, um uh, this granddaughter heads back to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park to find answers. So, it's, you know, the mystery in this there's a um, she wants to find out about her grandmother's mysterious death and and peace. Mm-hmm. Um and I I mean, that's fascinating. How does, she, how does she go about it without giving away too much, you know, in, in just talking to the people or, or searching for clues? What is, how does she go about mm-hmm. it? Just
1: originally started uh, because, because of her grandmother's dementia. And, and, you know, you've probably experienced with your mother, uh, a lot of times people with dementia suffer from um, delusions. And so you mm-hmm. never are quite sure if what they're remembering is accurate or whether it's a delusion. So she's kinda of fighting or not fighting, but she's she's struggling through this with her grandmother. And when she hears that her grandmother, you know, she's having nightmares about losing their land when she was a child and then she actually believes her grand her her mother so her grandmother's mother. Kieran's grandmother's mother <laughs> gets confusing. Uh was <laughs> murdered. And so Kieran wants to go back to the park to find out what happened and to recover this little stone bird that her grandmother wants, uh, which was left on the property. And so when when Kieran goes back to the National Park, at first she's not really sure how she's going to find this information, but she ends up connecting with a a park uh, archaeologist, uh, the park's curator actually, and he helps her search through the records to find records of um, when their land was taken and where it was located, and they spend quite a bit of time in the book searching the park, trying to find the exact site uh, where their cabin had been. And it's Kieran's plan all along to try and recover this little stone bird. But, of course, um, the, uh, Zach, who is the curator, has already informed her that that would not be legal to recover a, a historical artifact off of a historical site. It's, it's not considered a, a, an appropriate thing to do even for a former family member or family member of, uh, someone who owned the
0: property in the past. Tension between those two. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because, you know, on one hand, yeah. you'd see that as belonging to your family. That's, you know, in an right. heirloom. That was lost. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sort of a greater, greater history area. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and what surprised you most in, when you were doing research um, in the Smoky Mountains? was Did anything just kind of come out at you and say, wow, I never knew this, or this is, this is astonishing?
1: Well, I think, um, like I said, tumbling into that cemetery was a real eye-opener for me. And mm-hmm. uh, learning that the National Park actually has hundreds of these small cemeteries scattered throughout the national park and that the Park Service takes them very seriously about honoring those locations and making sure that they are not disturbed. Uh, they're maintained and families still often go back to them for decoration day to honor their, um, their ancestors. There are even areas in the, um, in the, I think it's Fontana Lake area where the, the Park Service takes people by boat along that reservoir to land that is no longer accessible by road. And so they, the National Park Service will take people in to visit their ancestors' graves on a certain day of the year. And I found that, uh, uh, you know, th- there's all this resentment toward the Park Service, but yet the Park Service is attempting to honor the people who went before as well. So there's there's a wonderful tension there between the two.
0: Well, um, I've visited quite a few cemeteries. I like to go through them, it's, um, you know, when I'm doing research. And... I find it so sad and disturbing to see so many um, children's graves, you know, because people would, uh, you know, they would have large families and maybe only two out of 12 or 13 children would survive. I mean, it's, um, it's really, it's really sad. I mean, did you notice? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Yeah. Uh,
1: there was one cemetery that I visited um in the, I think it was in the Greenbrier area, where I saw three tiny stones, three baby stones, um, representing, you know, a, a child lost every year, and I just yeah. imagined what that mother. I mean, I know it was more common in that era, so in some ways we want to sort of explain that away. Well, maybe they expected that, or what. But I, I can't. I mean, as a mom, every loss of a child would be devastating. It just, and I can't imagine three in a row like that, and how horrific that would be. And so I, I made a point of working yeah. that element into the story
0: about, you know, how those losses just would have torn at your soul in a way. Yeah, because that was, it was a reality. And, and the, really, the saddest part is they died of things, if you research some of it, of whooping cough or things like that that are so yeah. curable today. And, yeah. Uh, right. yeah, it's just tragic. It really is. Mm-hmm. But, and they had to be really tough. I mean, to to go through all that, you know. Um, but anyway, that's just an aside, <laughs> historical aside. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, was it difficult writing in different time periods? Did you have to do a lot of um, of research, you know, obviously for time period? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was a different experience for me because all, I've only written historical in the past. All of my novels have been historical fiction, historical romance. And to to weave in the contemporary story, I felt it was necessary for this book because of you know the the modern day tension still exists, the resentment toward the park service and uh, I wanted to show how this came through history and still affects people today. Um, but even just writing um, contemporary it was uh, it was kind of a fun for me because it was you know flexing muscles that I haven't used in a long time, and uh, thankfully I have college kids so th- that aren't too far. Uh, different in age from my uh, characters in the modern-day storyline. So I could ask them, you know, well, how would someone say, because I'm so used to writing historical. <laughs> I, I, I tend to speak that way sometimes. They're like, oh, I'm so tickled that something happened. It's like, no, one would say that, Mom. Uh, so I could run it past my daughter or my son and say, well, you know, what would people say if uh, you stopped calling them back on, a, on, a, on your cell phone? Or <laughs> they'd be like, they don't even call on cell phones, they text. So, I mean, there was a lot of learning for me, too, oh, even though I live in yeah, my holiday times. I'm not a teenager. They love correcting
0: you. Yeah. <laughs> they do. I quite Yeah, and they say, oh, no, they ghosted you. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> That's what we came up with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it just shows you how non-hip you are after a while. <laughs> okay. It, it, so, so non-hip. <laughs> So, um, so, what faith element would you want readers to take away from this book uh, when Stone Wings fly?
1: Well, something that both characters, uh, uh, Rosie in the past and Kieran in the present, both of them are dealing with kind of hanging on to things so tightly, and um, their dreams, their families, what whatever their land, whatever it is that they are just like they've got their whole soul wrapped up in this one thing and they can't seem to open their hands and let it go. And uh, there's a wonderful quote. uh, Oh gosh. And I'm now going to not remember her name because I'm on the spot, but um, it'll come to me after we finish. But uh, this woman who uh, who wrote books about being in concentration camps in World War II with her sister and her family. And uh, she, she talks about, uh, you've got to loosen your grip. You've got to uh, open your grip because otherwise it hurts when God pries your fingers open. Sometimes he wants us to, it's Cory ten Boom. Thank you. Just kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like, but uh, sometimes God calls us to let go and to trust him that he has something even better in mind for us. And so that's, that's kind of what I'm pushing into this story, and I hope that's kind of what readers take away from it.
0: Well, you know, and that's, it's such a commonality um, among believers is trusting God. I think that is yes. the hardest thing uh, for believers is, is just letting go and then trusting because we always seem to have a plan B in place. Yeah. If, oh, God doesn't answer. No, go on. I'm always
1: telling God how I think things should go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> or then we don't want to wait either because we get anything in this yeah. day and age instantly. So we're not used to waiting. People in the past, they would wait until God answered them. And, you know, we, we're not very good waiters <laughs> in no, that sense. No, um, I definitely season. am not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just want it now. And, um, well, so are you going to, is this the final book in in this series? Or, you know, are you going to continue with it? Or are you going off in a different direction?
1: Uh, the plan is to continue with it. We're going to see how it works with the publisher. Um, we're talking with them now about it, about future books. But I want to continue, regardless, I want to continue writing books about national parks. And I have some in mind that I'm looking forward to writing about. Um, two that I, I have is, are very close to my heart are Redwoods National Park and Zion National Park, both of which I would love yeah. to set a story in. But I'm always open. A lot of people talk to me about Acadia in um, uh, Maine, I believe. Okay, I haven't been there yet, so I won't commit myself to writing a book there. <laughs> but uh, so there are a lot of places that I look around and think that would be a great place for a novel. So I have a lot of ideas still ready to go. So I'm hoping to continue writing about national parks for quite a while.
0: Oh, and then, uh, gosh, you could go to New Orleans, the Audubon National Park uh, or City Park.
1: I'm Is- sure there were some.
0: Duels yeah. there.
1: <laughs> that could be interesting. <laughs> and the Everglades, wouldn't that be fun? Oh, down in yeah. Florida.
0: So yeah. Yeah, that would. That's. Um, that could be, you know, <laughs> an unlimited uh, number of novels. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we're running short Um time. Tell me, tell me more about uh, when you first decided to become a writer. You know. You know, how that came about when you first decided, Hey, I think I'm gonna write a book I mean
1: or like <laughs> you've been reading
0: a lot of writers, you know, read something and thought, Oh, I don't like that ending. I could write a better ending or mm-hmm. hey, maybe I'll write.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I've I've been writing since I was, you know, a kid and and you know, lots of journals with beginnings of stories. So I was I started at a young age, but I kinda of set it aside because it seemed too hard. And then um, it was really when uh, I was working with parks, actually, and I was, my, when my husband and I got married and I was working at Oregon State Parks, and I was thinking, you know, we'd like to start a family and I'd prefer to work from home. It's like, what could I do to work from home? And I thought, oh, yeah, I could write. And the baby would – I could write books, and the baby would sit in this cute little Moses basket next to the computer and look up at me and coo as I typed at the computer. <laughs> totally unrealistic view of what motherhood was going to involve. But uh, – <laughs> and, and at the time, I was thinking I was going to write children's books because they're short and easy and also not the case. <laughs> that was yeah. The children's books and did I you think just are think, harder oh, to write than novels. But,
0: yeah. it'll be like yeah, on yeah, television, will I'll, I'll write a book – and then they'll love it, and they won't even edit it. they'll say it's perfect, and wow, and I'll we make love all you
1: kinds of money <laughs> yeah.
0: and they'll send yeah, living so you know, it was
1: my It was my ignorance that got me into it, but I really uh fell in love with novels and uh and characters. And it just has been has been a joy, I mean not easy all the time, but
0: uh that's that's
1: good too. It's always good to to learn
0: new things and to challenge yourself, I think. Do you remember when you got your first contract?
1: Oh, very clearly. (laughs) I was um, actually Christmas shopping, and I was in a chocolate store, a little boutique uh, chocolate, uh, you know, where they pour the chocolates and make little truffles. So I can still remember the smell. That's the first thing I remember. And I got the call from my agent that I had my first contract. It was uh, Christmas of 2012. The book came out in 2013, so it was a quick turnaround on that one, but. yeah, That's awesome. so first contract smells like chocolate to me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll forever associate that with. <laughs> I do. Well, every I, time I go in that store, I think about that phone call.
0: <laughs> I just, I, I just wanted to find that. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated about um, authors. You know what they do or where they were. Everybody remembers when they got their first contract. Everybody. So, well, thank yes. you for, <laughs> thank you for chatting with me today. I've I really it and uh, makes me want to go to another national park and if you if you can't uh, take time off from work you know maybe our, our listeners well they'll just pick up your books and they'll feel like they've been in the national parks <laughs> um, yeah and it's like armchair maybe, travel <laughs> Yeah, and maybe plan a trip there later but at least they'll feel as if they've been there and uh, you can find uh, Karen on Com and all her socials. she's all over the place just google her and you'll find her Thanks for being on the it's show Karen today.
1: Bar- it's Karen Barnett
0: dot com. Just so dot com. I know, but I just Googled your name and boom, you just you just pull right up. Oh,
1: good, 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 good. That works too.
0: Yes, and I'm gonna. Well, thanks for being on the show, and I see that our next guest is here, Rachel Dodge. I'm just gonna play a little music in between, and I'll good. allow good. you to go on with the rest of your day. And I hope you'll be back. Okay, to visit thank you so much. much. Thank you, Karen. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. My next guest is Rachel Dodge. Um I hope I'm pronouncing that right, Rachel. Yes, you are Rachel Dodge. <laughs> you know, um Probably you get this all the time. They say, oh, you're like uh, Dogecoin. (laughs) Your name is the same. You're a digital currency as well as an author.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um,
0: Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to just uh, read Rachel's um, bio first and and just um, introduce her to you a little bit before we start, listeners. Uh, Rachel Dodge is... um, The author is she's also the author of Praying with Jane, 31 Days Through the Prayers of Jane Austen, The Anne of Green Gables Devotional, which I talked to you about that one before, a chapter by chapter companion for kindred spirits. And her latest book is Little The Little Women Devotional, All Faves of Mine. She teaches uh, college English classes, gives talks at libraries, tees, and book clubs, and is a writer for the popular Jane Austen's World Blog and Jane Austen's Regency World Magazine. She is passionate about encouraging and equipping families to grow closer to Jesus through prayer and the study of God's Word. Um, A kindred spirit at heart, Dodge enjoys books, bonnets, and ball gowns. She makes her home in California with her husband and their two children, and you can find more about Rachel at www.racheldodge.com, and on all her social media, of course. Welcome to the show, Rachel.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> well, um, I'm excited to talk about, about your latest book, I mean, little, men, I mean, little Women. I mean, who doesn't love little women. I read it time and again when I was young and, uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. I hate when, you know, when a good story ends, you just have to read it again <laughs> and pretend you don't remember the ending. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> what, what gave you the idea or how, how did you, um, I mean, the mechanics of writing a devotional from this, did you just, um, feel like certain scenes were just perfect for certain devotionals or certain themes you'd like to share. Tell us how you went about it.
1: Yeah, so uh, this this book is very similar to the format of the Anna Green Gables devotional, and they're both chapter-by-chapter companions to the books. So essentially you could read Little Women, you know, read Chapter 1 of Little Women and then read a chapter of the devotional book. And, yeah, when I go through each chapter, I, you know, I'll read the chapter in the book. I'll have some time of prayer. I usually journal for a while. That's kind of how I brainstorm. And Mm -hmm. um, some chapters are harder than others. There's, you know, there's times where I just instantly know what is the really great, you know, key lesson in this chapter that we could apply to our lives in our faith. But then there's other times where I think there's three or five awesome moments. And it, it is sometimes tricky to choose. What's yeah. the one thing to focus on in this chapter? Because, you know, Little
0: Women, is so, there's so much in the chapters that happens in so many different characters, too. Well, you know, and, and, you know, it's really difficult if you're an author and reading Little Women, you know, with the manuscript burning. <laughs> That's like trauma. <laughs> oh, um, <Yes. laughs> how did you deal with that? How did you uh, come up? Did you use that? uh in the chapter as a devotion or, or some sort of anger or jealousy?
1: Yeah, that one, that one was very difficult because in the book, you know, so much happens. And I think even as readers, you talk, I even online, I'm I'm doing a whole thing on March with the marches this month on my social media and we're debating oh, our great. favorite moments. And, you know, and a lot of people will say, I've never forgiven Amy for burning Joe's manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big thing. <laughs> it is and, a big thing. And some will Yeah, and some people argue, "Oh, she was young at the time and she grows up later." And I would agree with that, but it is a difficult moment and um but in the novel, uh Louisa May Alcott really focuses in more on Joe and how her anger just consumed her to such a point that she almost once um she doesn't want and doesn't want to talk to her sister she won't forgive her and so even though it's it's difficult there is you know it's difficult to choose what to focus on um there is a conversation that joe and marmy have her mother have about temper and anger and just how it can really take over and take us to a pretty dark place and um that letting go of that and forgiving and all that is and and even just how to what do you do with a bad temper, you know? And so I I did focus in more on that because there's a point where Joe says she felt really like almost savage is the, the word she uses toward Amy, where she almost wished you know, almost would want some harm to come to her. And in that chapter, Amy that's where she tries to come ice skating with Lori and Joe and Joe races off and Amy falls to the ice and all that. And so Joe really has to come up against you know, I let my anger go so far that I actually, my little sister could have been really badly hurt, and it's kind of a, a really big wake-up call for her. So I focused in on the conversation she had with Marmy because Marmy's so kind and sweet and gentle to come alongside her in that moment and not be harsh with Joe, but just to say, I struggle with anger, too, and this is what we got to do with it, and take it to the Lord.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I really, um, most people, I mean, I have to say everybody <laughs> struggles some point with anger or you know something Mm -hmm. something they considered unfair that might have been done to them or to something that they cared about you know or and um, how do you deal Mm -hmm. with that you know so that's
1: that's great take yeah and there uh, Marmy gives just beautiful advice if I could share it she says at the end she says watch and pray dear never get tired of trying and never think it is impossible to conquer your faults. and great encouragement for all of us whatever your you struggle with most it might be temper or you know some type of temptation or jealousy or whatever that we just keep bringing it to the lord just keep coming back to the lord with it
0: do you feel like um the character of joe who writes her own book in a time when women really didn't you know get to do that much or have the opportunities Mm -hmm. do you think um did it influence you? And do you think it's influenced a lot of uh, women to be authors?
1: I I really do. I, I think it's influenced a lot of women overall. And I know mm-hmm. that when I was growing up, I really identified with Joe a lot because I loved to write so much. I never thought I would write a book and I never thought I would, I just liked to write, but I remember when Joe, you know, she writes these stories, these kind of horrid, like you know, very dark, <laughs> gothic, and crazy stories, and makes money off of that. But then later, when she finally writes her book, her novel, and it's it's like so good, and it's it's, it's something that's so worthwhile. I re- I do remember saying to my parents once. They would always say, "Well, you should write a book," and I would said I will write one when I know what book I'm supposed to write. I don't have the idea yet. And so, you know, these devotional books, when that all started to come together um, maybe five or six years ago, it was just like I knew what I was supposed to finally write. And I kind of feel like that with Joe, we all, you know, with whatever whatever creative task or whatever way we serve the Lord, all those, you know, our career or whatever, it, it maybe takes us a while to kind of figure out what to do with the thing we love to do. But I mm-hmm. just love that Joe. like, she's very inspiring, I think, once she figures out, like, I need to write about my life and my family and sisterhood and all of this, it's, that's the thing that people want to read and what sells, and she could be really proud of it instead of kind of, you know, with the story, she's hiding it from her family because she's embarrassed that she's writing this junk to get paid, basically. <laughs> um, so that's just been inspiring to me, and I think it's inspiring to a lot of girls and women to see someone who... Kept trying and trying and trying, and eventually became a really beautiful writer.
0: Well, in sort of, do you? And I just asked I want you to share that quote, if you can. But, um, do you feel like your mom is kind of your marmy, or is she similar in your mind? Moms. Oh, that's a good. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Yeah, I think I do see um, similarities in my mom and Marmee because Marmee was really good at knowing she could be comforting and gentle and she could be fun, but she also knew how to teach a lesson fun way so that no one really knew. I don't think the girls knew (laughs) the lessons Marmee was always teaching them until later. Like, when she tells yeah. the girls, they all say they don't want to do their chores anymore. And she says, all right, let's just take a day off. Let's just everybody do their own thing and see how it goes. And it goes horribly. By the end of the day, they all are <laughs> miserable. And then the next, I think it's the next day, she decides to give Hannah the day off. And Marmy goes and takes a break. And the girls are just falling apart. And in the end, it's, well, what did we learn? Like, should we all just look out for ourselves? Or do we all need to work? And, and is it good for us to work and work together? And so I think my mom did that kind of she was kind of clever with her her lessons sometimes where I would kind of see what she was trying to show me as it was happening, but sometimes it's later that you realize you know where that wisdom was um and then I would just say, "Marmy is a wonderful example to all of us as moms i I want to be a Marmy
0: <laughs> do you Do you have that quote handy or you know committed to memory <laughs> <I've, laughs> that your mom shared?" Um, the quote from your mom at the, in the forward of the book, if you, oh, I mean, that, I, yes, it would be so nice yeah, to just share that actually. with the listeners.
1: Yeah. So the, the kind of my opening in the welcome at the beginning of the devotional book, I I wrote, I'll never forget the first time my mother put a copy of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women in my hands. She said, you will love it, but it will make you cry. Oh, and I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Is that, I think that's the quote you're talking about. And she, yeah. um, I remember that moment so vividly. I was always looking for books and scouring our bookshelves. Like, am I ready for this book, mom? Am I ready for this book? And and I remember when she handed it to me and she said that. And I didn't put this in the book because I didn't want to spoil anything if someone hadn't. But I, I think, because I asked her late recently, I think she also said best ties. Because <laughs> <laughs> my mom was not, not one spoiler. to word. Yeah, yeah, she was not one to mince words like, you know, you're just going to need to be prepared, best <laughs> dive. Oh.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't see Which that coming. I
1: honestly appreciated, I appreciated that, but yeah, I wonder what would have happened if I hadn't known.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I's you had a chance to, for to prepare for it.
1: Least. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then, but there's so much uh, foreshadowing of that throughout the book anyway, even in the first few chapters, you already see mm-hmm. that something, you know, is something, you know, going to happen with Beth, but, but yeah, and I, I honestly, I think it is a book that makes us, we love it and it does make us cry because little women's uh, has a lot of real life situations for us. And so writing the devotional, obviously, I, I was able to pick up on a lot of that because they go through things that we all go through, even though it was, you know, they're in the middle of the civil war, but we're, we're going through all kinds of stuff today that we can really still apply that to our lives.
0: In the devotion you wrote about Beth's death, passing, you know, um, was that mm-hmm. one that dealt with grief and loss and and all that goes with that?
1: Yeah, that those chapters when she's first ill, and then later when she, you know, becomes very ill and pa- eventually passes away. Um, those chapters were probably some of the hardest to write for me. Yeah. Um, one, because it's emotional and it brings up, you know, grief in all, you know, we've all had losses and grief and people we loved okay. um, who are no longer with us. And it's really, really, um, yeah. so those chapters were difficult to write. Um, but I also was very encouraged because you see just the beauty of a family loving each other really well. And you see Joe, Um, turning to the Lord, and she sees Beth and the witness of Beth's life, how much she is such a gentle, quiet spirit and loves the Lord, and is such a great example to her family right to the end, and it makes a huge impact on Joe, and I think it's a big part of her development, and so in the devotional chapters I wrote that related to those different chapters, um, I did write about Beth. And I just called that chapter a life that shines because it really was about how Beth lived. Really, she lived really well. And then the chapters after, when I had to write about Joe, um, and the horrible, the horrible time she had going through that grief, um, I really picked up on how the family came around each other during that time and supported each other. And was just uh, Mr. and Mrs. March both are just a rock for. Or Joe during that chapter even though they are also in pain but they they come alongside Joe and and walk her through it and it's really beautiful
0: it's it's a beautiful example of um, of our faith and and really living mm-hmm. your faith drawing together you know because people um, in times when they're hurt they'll either turn away from God or or just hold on to him and not let go and yeah i'm one that you know i'm not going to run away i need him (laughs) i need him i want to hold on to him and and not let go but um but this is a wonderful example of what you're supposed to do as a family and you know i'm sure that the devotions uh i can you know i have to go back and read your book now (laughs) i have it and now (laughs) i'm I'm going to sit down and read the whole thing um but um which sister do you identify with? I mean, the I love
1: this question. That Yeah. I'd love to hear yours too. I do. I do see myself probably the most in Joe. I just relate to her a lot and maybe because she was a writer and she tends to be a little more, I don't know. She's just kind of a strong protective type of a girl, you know, and I was always that way with my siblings, fiercely protective of my brother and, of my friends and my family. Um, she's but I, I, so I, think I mean, I, you know. Yeah, yeah, she's independent and goes for things. She's not afraid to try new things and speak her mind and speak up and all that. Um, but I think as I get older, I also do identify somewhat with Meg because I love having a cozy home and being a homemaker. And some of those things I, I've surprised myself as I've gotten older. And I guess maybe the Lord has surprised me with um making it so that all the things I thought I would go do, all these high and mighty things when I was younger, that I actually love just being a mom and a wife at home almost more than anything else. And so I I like seeing that hopefully I've kind of developed into a little bit more of a Meg as I got older.
0: You know, I almost see them as different aspects of our personalities, you know, like all of them Ooh, have different characteristics. Yeah. You know? I like
1: that. That's a great way to look at it. Because,
0: <laughs> you know, sometimes we're bold and brash and, and kind of spontaneous like Joe. And sometimes we're more like Meg or Beth or Amy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we each have our, our you know time, especially after you have your own family. Um, but mm-hmm. anyway, that's a side. <laughs> um, I
1: like that, yeah.
0: <laughs> do you think, um, I mean, during the Civil War, um when the, the the book um that your devotional is based on was that um it was an all female household and that was you know common for men going off to war do you think the girls because their their father wasn't there you know taking care of things and they had to take care of things and take care of their mom that that made them stronger than normally they would have been because their father would have done it
1: Right. I Oh, absolutely. I think I think a lot of what occurs in the first half of the book, which was actually like the first, um, it was originally Little Women and then Good Wives was the second portion. Now we read it as one book in two parts. Um, and the first half of the book or, or whatever you would say, you know, when father's away at the war, he's a, a chaplain. And that whole year, they are at home without him. They're worried about him, obviously. And yeah, they have to they have to work, <laughs> you know, the older girls go and do jobs that they don't love and they have to all work really hard around the house because they don't have a lot. Um, and I think they do learn to rely on each other. And I think their faith has to grow quite a bit, too, because that's a big part of the story is um, they really have to cling to each other and learn to to uh, cling to the Lord And I think it does make them all a lot stronger. And I just see how they developed over that year, that first half of the book that you just see them kind of go from being the beginning, you know, it's not Christmas without presents. And, you know, they're whining and complaining (laughs) and, you know, it's really neat to see how much they grow up in that year. And yeah, if life was peachy and dad, you know, father was home and they had plenty of everything they needed, I'm sure it wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have developed as much so quickly that, that
0: um just that strength of character, yeah, and they you know they were uh, women of just age, but they all grew and matured in in this, so they were not really that little, you know, and they weren't what I guess at the time too, women were thought of as just little women little weak women <laughs> they they were stronger than why do you think people well believers? should read devotionals. I mean, I see them, in, I mean, they're very important to me, you know, for that daily encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is the takeaway, I mean, from your viewpoint for.
1: for so why we read for, devotional yeah. books or why they, yeah. Yeah. yeah for I, more you know, Christian. yeah, I think, you know, I have found devotional books have played a big part in, my walk with the Lord in different kind of different seasons and stages, even I think as a new Christian, I read them because I didn't quite understand the Bible. And sometimes it would help me to get a passage and go, Oh, that's what it's about. Or you <laughs> yeah. know, have a personal example tied to it. Yeah. Make it, make it applicable, yeah. make it personable. So I could kind of go, Oh, okay. That's how my life can relate to that and, and what I can learn from it. Uh, I think, you know, now having walked with the Lord and done Bible studies and read the Bible for years and years, um, I just think of it as something that is such a an added, like I need more depth at times or I need another perspective that I haven't noticed before. Um, and then I think just different seasons. There's times in our lives where, I mean, it's I love to read my Bible, but there are times when, you know, if I'm going through something really hard or painful, that. Um, you know, I can read through the passage that I've, you know, have for that day or whatever I, you know, whatever plan I'm doing, but, um, and I might be, could even look up verses that would be really helpful for me and all of that. But I sometimes feel like a a devotional can even just bring comfort to to help us in that very moment where we are. Like I need like something very specific to this situation. (laughs) And I find a lot of times I have a few devotionals I really love to come back to and yeah, you know, sometimes I'll just pick one up and go, okay, it's March, you know, whatever. Lord, do you have a word for me that I just need to hear from you? And it's always neat how you'll find, you know, look through one or two devotionals that I have by my bed, and I'll find one that's just like, that's what I needed today.
0: Yeah, or it's it's funny, like God tailor-made that devotion for what you're going through that day, mm-hmm. you know? And it's always yeah. good, I think, to read it in the morning, because, you know, it might be what you need for that day, that encouragement and, you know, that inspiration, just a little oomph for your day, you know, just to launch you, <laughs> get you started. Yeah. And some people that like to read through the entire book of devotionals and I get, well, you know what? I didn't get that at first because I thought, oh, no, you need to read them daily, you know, for encouragement. Mm-hmm. But I remember mm-hmm. when one of my devotionals came out, um, my I gave one to one of my aunts, and she said, I read the whole thing, and I thought, oh, no, you're supposed to read that every day, but then, you know what, she passed away, and I thought, oh, gosh, she read that, and she did, you know, become a believer before she, you know, before she passed, but, you know, not everybody has tomorrow, so, you know, I don't tell them anymore. I said, I'm so glad you read it.
1: That's I don't wonderful. say
0: anymore Like, yeah. if, if they want to read it now, go ahead. <laughs>
1: just read it. Yeah, that's yeah, a great thing thought. I I know that there's times when I think, well, March twenty, you know, fourth or whatever, didn't get me, it, Then I'll just either read a bunch of days before it, or I'll read ahead. It's like it's, it's, it's just, <laughs> I need I need some mana for today, and I'm just going to keep reading until I find it. You know,
0: exactly. Um. Was there um, was there anything that surprised you when you were writing this devotional? I mean, like God, you know, God always surprises us, right? Um, mm-hmm. Were you writing it and think you were going to go one way, and then you know, Holy Spirit just like, wait a minute, listen to this, you're going to love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've had I've had several of I had several of those moments, um, and I I would say when I had to write the chapter about uh, Joe refusing Lori, when he says he finally tells her he loves her and wants, you know, wants to marry her obviously. And um, you know, I've always struggled so much with that because I just always like, why did she say no? Um, And even though I maybe could intellectually understand, and there's lots of commentary on what, you know, what the author might've been doing or why she wrote it the way she did. But when I, I was surprised because when i wrote i had to re i think i rewrote that chapter a bunch of times because it was it was a tricky chapter to write, and I finally just you know i finally did come to the conclusion that um it wasn't it wasn't right because Joe says like I can't feel the way i i'm not i'm paraphrasing for the moment um trying to find the quote, but you know, she just basically says i can't oh here it is yeah, she just says um you know, he tells her it's no use. We've got to have it out. The sooner the better and and wants to talk about it. And she just says, I don't know why I can't love you as you want me to. I've tried, but I can't change the feeling. And it would be a lie to say I do when I, do. and I remember just sitting with that. And that's the quote I actually used for that beginning of that chapter is, you know, yeah. like, Lori is so, it's a crushing moment. I, I titled that chapter crush yeah. and I talked about how the Lord is near to the broken heart and he saves the crushed in spirit and that it's a horribly excruciating moment for them both. Um, But in the end, if you just go by what is written in the book, they really did both find a better match for them. Hopefully listeners won't be too angry at me for saying that, but (laughs) you know, just as far as the book goes and even our own lives, we see like, you you don't want to marry someone who doesn't love you back in that same way. And it wouldn't have been good for him to be married to her. If she was sort of in love with him or not at all, you know? And so, it was a, it was an interest. It was a neat um, chapter to write because I ended up talking about you know have you had your hopes dashed your heart crushed like, you know and how the Lord can comfort us and that ultimately God can bring something really good out of that later. It's just sometimes in the moment we can't see it.
0: Yeah, and you know I'd say that most women and, and well most men too. I mean uh, it seems like everybody's had an instance where they love someone. didn't love him back or even like someone you know Mm -hmm. like had uh, they had feelings for and and it wasn't reciprocated and that is very crushing and it is it does hurt you know it does Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. if you know trusting in god ultimately he will lead you to the right person if if you just uh trust him trust him through it like i was talking, karen uh barnett about that earlier (laughs) yeah trusting god seems to be the hardest part of um what we do as, as you know how we live as Christians, is you know just letting go and not having our own plan in place, but just sort of um, backing off and saying, "Okay, Lord, I trust you, and i'm going to wait for you i'm going to wait for this uh, prayer to be answered, <laughs> yeah yeah, <And> that's, <laughs> that's hard, but that is such um, such a uh, a wonderful example to us you know that um of relationships i think that's very important what you pointed out so and yes that that mm-hmm. did disturb me too in the book <laughs> so i'm glad you yeah. expounded on that in your devotional <laughs> you need that yeah. it's, not, it's like the, therapy it's after like, the book
1: it is and i think you know in each each entry i always bring in about you know a I've used Bible passages, of course, but then I always have at least one section where I really try to make a Bible application. And in that one, I talked about how Paul and his team, you know, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach in Asia. And then they tried to go again and the spirit didn't permit them. But later, two years later, he does get to go there and share the good news in Asia, you know? And so it's, sometimes it's even just that we have to wait and see, like, it's just not right now. You know, it might be a no, it might be yes, or like you said, it, sometimes it's a just wait and see what what needs to develop, what does God want to do, and it might come later. It's just not right now.
0: Uh, I mean, God's I mean is so different from ours. I mean, especially now. I mean, we want everything instantly. We want everything right now, and, and he's like, no, there's a time. There's a time for everything, and Season for everything and um, waiting is difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. likes waiting. I really don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> but gosh, I am. I, this has been such fun um, chatting with you about the Little Women devotional and Little Women. You know, and um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm just so excited for you with this book. And people can find you on your on um, your website, um, which I'm gonna go through that again, racheldodge.com and also what social media are you on? I am on Facebook. You can just look me up
1: brighter, you know, Rachel Dodge author. Um, and then I'm on Instagram and you can look for me by my name or my handle is kindred spirit books. And yes. this, right. like I said, this whole last month we've been having a really fun time discussing little women and every week I've focused on one of the sisters and then we'll talk about which actress we think played it best. And to, this week has been Amy and I think so far I've had probably like 60 some comments, people <laughs> are very opinionated oh, about who yeah. played Amy better.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I welcome anybody to find me there if they want to chat about books and, and about the Lord and about just, you know, how he works in our lives.
0: And are you on, let's see, are you on Twitter or any of those other, uh, Pinterest, Pinterest? Let's
1: see, yes, I'm on Twitter and Pinterest as well, yeah.
0: Okay, okay. Or TikTok, that's the latest one. <laughs> uh, you
1: know, I'm just, I don't, I guess I'm not cool enough. I'm not on TikTok
0: yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just got on it myself, uh, but I I haven't done anything on it. I'm just checking it out, which is kind of shocking, but... <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see we'll see but um thank you yeah, for being on the show new
1: adventure. oh gosh
0: yeah <laughs> new adventure thank you so much Rachel it's been a delight and i've just um really had fun just chatting with you today and um have a great rest of the week thank you
1: thank you it's it's been great speaking
0: with you and thank you for having me on bye bye now